Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and when I'm tense, I squeeze a stress ball. I'm Kristen, and when I'm tense, I run until I can't feel my problems anymore. And Caitlin's going to be very angry that I said <laughs> <She> that. <told laughs> it. I'm Cameron, and when I and when I'm tense, I pace all over the place and may or may not hang upside down from the rafters. Cannot confirm. <laughs> With the bat theme, so, so consistent. We have a brand. <laughs> my name is Caitlin, and I also run until I can't remember all my problems because I said that before we started, and she just stole it. So what Kristen really <laughs> does when she, you know is stressed out as she just copies other people. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really bad in the publishing industry. <laughs> a little bit. I'm Catherine, and when I'm tense, I run into... Never mind. <laughs> I like to go for, swim, go for a swim, and if I can't, I like to go outside. Do you swim laps, or do you just swim for fun? I like to... We have a swimming hole near our house, but oh. it's, it's only good for the warm part of the year. I was going to say Vermont. In the winter, it's not good at all, because it's like covered nice. I Can you skate on it? Um, It's... it's it's kind of a, a hole in like a, a skinny brook, and so not really. Uh-huh. Open water skating is kind of like stressful for me as a concept because, like, what if you're a mile away from shore and the ice breaks? Yeah, that would be and it some probably wouldn't skating. happen, but like. The one time I ever went open water skating, I remember hearing the ice crack. It sounds. Twang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was terrifying, so. Yeah. But in the summer, something is great outside. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, a big welcome to our special guest today, Catherine Arden, author of the Winter Night Trilogy, which includes The Bear and the Nightingale, The Girl in the Tower, and The Winter of the Witch, as well as Small Spaces and Dead Voices, which are not part of the series. They're part no. of their own they're, series. They're for children. They're part of their own series. Awesome. So tell us a bit about your books, Catherine. Um, okay, I'll talk about my books. The My books for adults, as you said, are called the Winter Night Trilogy. They're a series of three set in Russia during the Middle Ages. Um, they follow the adventures or the growing up of a young woman named Vasilisa, who is the daughter of a minor aristocrat and has the ability to see the the characters, the creatures of Russian folklore. And these books are absolutely beautiful, so please Thank you. check them out. <laughs> we wanted to talk about layers of tension, and we thought this was a great topic because Catherine's books actually amp up tension really well. Which is something I like about them. <laughs> <laughs> for, for people out there, what do we mean by layers of tension? Can someone give us some examples or a rundown? I think that when you read a book that has only one kind of tension, it feels flat. And the thing that gives a a book a lot of flavor is having tension from different sources and tension that comes in different levels. So you could have something that's not super tense, causing tension in other areas. One of the first books I thought of, we do a lot of YA here Mm -hmm. because I write YA and I think all of you guys do too. It kind of varies with Cameron. Yeah. But but one of the first books I thought of was Illuminate by... Uh, Jake Christoffen and Amy Amy Kaufman. There we go. Where you start with a really big source of tension that continues to amp up, but it it is tempered. We have Katie, who's looking for her mom, who's on a different refugee ship. We have her reconnecting with her ex-boyfriend, who is kind of a jerk, but maybe not actually a jerk. I don't know. So you have different kinds of things going on so that it doesn't feel like it's one note the whole time. Would, would you say, then, that Layers of Tension is related to having different kinds of plots going on at the same time? Probably, but then we would have to change the name of the podcast to something else. No, we cannot do that then. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I would even crank it back a layer and say tension comes from characterization because what it, what is tension? It's when somebody wants something and the obstacles you as an author put in front of the characters so they can't get what they want and how the character goes around the obstacles, right? So and then, so 
And so, like, in your example, like, one character wants to find her mom. That's her goal, right? And the tension comes from her being thwarted um, from her goals. Or maybe she wants this man, but her own doubts keep her from this man. More tension, right? And so, talking about layers of tension, it comes from each character being a real character and how you throw obstacles and thwart each character individually, right? I think one notebooks happen when only one character is real and only one character's desires are, are fleshed out yeah. um, because then the conflict is, 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 is sort of single, single pain instead of like having many characters um, who want different things. So complex characters are going to have Lots of different kinds of tension because real people have lots of kinds of problems. <laughs> That's true. I mean, not even complex characters, but characters who who want want things that you can understand, mm-hmm. including villains, right? Everyone has to have a goal, right? And the obstacles have to be real. So would you say then that characterization is the main, main way you tackle tension in The Bird the Nightingale? I think plot creates character, but character also creates plot, right? So it's really chicken and egg question because like say you want a story where a character runs away from home and i don't know adopts a dog and meets a bandit whatever those things can happen and you have to ask yourself what kind of person would those things happen to an adventurous person maybe an impulsive person um maybe a a clever but not very educated person i don't even know like like so so the plot you want uh, informs the kind of characters you invent to suit the plot you want at the same time, the characters you want alter the plot you're, you're writing, right? So it's really, they, they feed on each other. Um, so you can approach it either way, and, and it works. Um, it's, it's really sort of individualized. Does that make sense a little bit? Mm-hmm. So then how can writers combine the small tensions that um, come while they're drafting, or the small tensions that come while they're outlining into big tensions to create the perfect storm? Well, so... So everyone is an individual, right? All your characters are individuals with goals. Their deep tension happens when what one person wants is in direct conflict with what somebody else wants, mm-hmm. right? What one person's doing totally thwarts somebody else, right? And so the perfect form of tension happens when everyone's conflicting goals and desires meet up in a unified time and space, Um so, so the the goal of of, of the book and, and way is to pull together um, the different threads you've been creating, the different tensions into one giant moment. Um, and it's hard. <laughs> I mean, the hope is your book will have like separate climaxes, right? It'll have like small, yeah, small like high points that lead up to a big high point right at the end, exactly. right? Um, and I think that sense of everything coming together is is one thing I love in a good book. Tons of threads have like have like linked to form a big unified picture, um, and that sense that you get from a book that's been well constructed um, is, is incredible when it when it comes together. But sometimes when a book doesn't quite gel in that way, it's very dissatisfying as a reader. That's really true. Um, Do you have like a specific? So as you're sitting here orchestrating mm-hmm. all of these tensions, are, is there like a specific um, way that you do that? Or how do you think that works? I mean, this is me intellectualizing after the fact. Uh-huh. Like when you're writing, it's very it's very intuitive. Um, and, it, and it's definitely, for me, it's, it's on the page experience where you're working with people in, in a world and seeing what happens mm-hmm. um, and seeing how you can create deeper tensions and deeper divisions and how you can then resolve them. Mm-hmm. Um, other authors definitely plan their like points of tension and resolution, you know, 
Um, I've, I've tried to, it doesn't work as well for me, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, so how do you do it? I think the, the biggest thing is you ask yourself at each moment, how can I make this moment more impactful? Mm -hmm. So at every scene, you have to ask yourself, what do these characters want and what is stopping them from getting it? And ideally, how is this other character stopping the one character from getting what they want, right? So you want, you want interpersonal conflicts. Like the ancient plague is great, and, and, but it's not a, a person, right? The interest comes when, with how the characters react. I mean, you could talk about Game of Thrones, for example. Like once we shifted from like, you know, Cersei being like the villain to the Night King being the villain, it got less interesting, right? It because did. the Night King's not a character. Yeah. It's, he's a, he's a, a thing, a force of nature, right? Yeah. So, so the interest comes in characters, I think. That's a really good point, especially because I've, I have finally been starting watching The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one that does a mm-hmm. good job of the zombie plague. It's yeah. not really the problem. It's the other the people, people that's the problem yeah. and the relationships with those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when you're trying to ratchet up tension, you think like, you think, oh, well, it's interesting to me what's <laughs> happening. But you don't, like, dig as deep as you could and make it just as impactful every single moment. Um, if you do want a resource that helps you kind of identify those places of tension, mm-hmm. um, Dan Wells's Dan Wells's Dan Wells. No, Wells's <clears throat> Dan Wells's seven-point plot structure, which you can mm-hmm. look up the videos on YouTube, helps you to, like, identify those places in your book if you want to try and make them come to one big stringy mess mm-hmm. of climax <laughs> <laughs> i think it's easy to emphasize here that like there's no right way to do it yeah yet. like absolutely. like every author has an approach to like building their story and there's no right way to cook the book it's like it's you Just know whatever frustrating yeah <laughs> well, and I whatever like works for you some of those things don't come until you're on your third fourth draft where you're like it's oh true. this would go better here yeah yeah, yeah. you start pulling things together yeah. late how do you avoid hitting the ceiling on stress too early I mean, I think that you have to you have to be in tune with what your characters should be feeling at that point. Um, and you can't there's no way to organically move your emotional state from zero to sixty in two pages, right? Yeah. So it, it has to build. And you can force it to go higher, but no one will believe you. Like if, if you have a character who who like whose bestie dies on page one, that's really sad, but your audience won't be that sad right because you haven't earned that moment um you could use the death as like an inciting incident and then move move forward from there but but you can't force high points you have to build to them um so you so you really can't say okay by page 40 i'm gonna have this like like sob worthy moment right um organic sobbing it's true (laughs) it's really true though because i think a lot of times books will start with like a tragic incident or like a tragedy and that's that's fine it's great but you have to realize that your tragedy won't affect your audience on page one. Well, it is impossible. Yeah. It's too soon. You know, why should they care? I'm, I'm thinking of Codename Verity, which is a book mm-hmm. that I adore. Um, mm-hmm. And it starts in a really dark spot where mm-hmm. the main character has been captured by Nazis and mm-hmm. she's like mm-hmm. being tortured. And you're like, oh, this that on its own could be a really high emotional point mm-hmm. because we mm-hmm. don't know her. We spend yeah. the whole book... And then when we finally get to a point, it only gets darker. yeah. Well, and we finally get to a point where yeah, yeah. we know and care about her and her relationships with other people. And in that moment, that's when it's like, yeah, the waterworks. Yeah. They've yeah. they've earned it. And I'd also say, like in action books, I feel like a lot of authors 
think I just need a bigger monster. And I feel like readers, at some point, they just get fatigued. Mm -hmm. They're like, I don't need to see that anymore. And so I think it's really important to make sure that you're building. I, mean, I think that's a cinema fallacy, right? Mm -hmm. That you think like this thing that would be amazing on film, like 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 four <laughs> monsters take Manhattan, like, and maybe it would be, but it doesn't have the same impact in a book. Yeah. The the impact comes from what the characters are thinking and doing. And I think monsters as again as villains are can work, but you have to keep in mind that the best villains are characters. Absolutely. Um and if you're like four eyed, you know, tentacle monster is a character, great. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's just like a it's a force. Mm -hmm. In which case keep that in mind and plan your characterization characterizations around the monster. That's the reason the only monster movie I like is Cloverfield, because it's not actually about the monster. <laughs> you could can argue, I made them all watch this. No. <laughs> it was yeah. good. I mean, like, you could argue that King Kong has had good adaptations because, like, King Kong has, like, a personality occasionally. Mm -hmm. He likes the lady in white, you know, he's all like, yeah, I got my hands. Like, it, it's something, right? Mm -hmm. It's not nothing. Whereas, like, whereas, like Godzilla is kind of a void. Just yeah. like he likes the chomp buildings, but no <laughs> they personality. They tried really hard in the last in the last movie to like make him a force for good? Question mark. I'm not sure. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see it. I don't know. Tell you. Watch it. I'll be they saw the dragons. And were like, yes, mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I guess just to emphasize everything that has been said, I think the Winter Night trilogy does an excellent job of humanizing all of the villains, like especially. When we start with Constantine, I, I think you do a good job of getting into people's heads. So if you want an example of how to do this, dear listeners, <laughs> please <laughs> read that series. Well, I mean, I think it's it's going back to like everyone's a person, mm -hmm. and and what they're doing makes sense for them. Yeah. Um, and nobody wakes up with a curly mustache. Yeah. Like, just like, like, like nobody does that. Everyone, <laughs> everyone thinks they're good. You know, everyone thinks they're fundamentally a good person. And I think it's important to, like, put your head in that headspace mm -hmm. when you're writing a villain. Um, otherwise, they can get flat. Yeah. You know? Like, but if some if the villain's motivations are relatable, or at least understandable, um, then it's, like, more interesting for a reader. So we're about out of time for this portion of the podcast, but does anybody have any final things they'd like to say? Okay. Awesome. And now we'll go on to the portion of the podcast where we critique an audience submission. Quick review, we try to be non-prescriptive. But if you'd like to check out the text of this submission and see all of our notes, go on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. So a summary. In this submission, a mysterious firebending, not fey, baby is discovered and adopted by a tree nymph. Shenanigans ensue. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some things we liked about the submission? I like the idea of this story. I mean, a fire child found in the forest. I was really worried about, in the very end of this submission, she gives this fire necklace to this random man who comes up to her tree. And I'm like, don't give him the necklace. <laughs> I it's that. the one thing you own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of directions this could go. So I'd be very interested to see where it does end up going. I thought there was there were a couple of really good lines. I liked the description one of the man, um, where it says his face was made of stone, and as far as she knew, stone could not smile, which I think is a killer line. Yeah. I also think that in general, this had a pretty consistent tone to it. It it felt like it, like it felt like a fairy tale, which makes sense because there were lots of fairies in there. Yeah. So. So, it made me think of, like, Fern Gully, like, this yes. super ideal place. Like, everything's beautiful. Like, the pixies, like, 
like you know i was looking around for like where's texas yeah Yeah. i loved that movie (laughs) i mean so my first thought and this kind of goes back to talking about tension is that I didn't get a clear sense of the stakes early on. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's making people care, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we all, like, sort of in principle care about babies and about, like, nature and stuff. That's fine. But you have to, to convince people to read on, right? Mm-hmm. And what makes people read on is stakes, is tension, is is curiosity. No, it's going to happen next. And I didn't feel like the conflict, the core conflict, got started fast enough. Like, there was a, a line about goblins, like, glaring from the shadows, but it seemed like that sort of, like, what are the goblins doing? Are they are they powerful? Could they affect this moment more intensely? Um, I felt like there could have been a greater tension in that moment. Um, I think also, in general, it's starting with a baby is a challenge because a baby, in plot terms, is not a character. They're an object, right? Because... They can't affect the plot themselves. Yeah. They, they're passed around. And so sort of I, I wasn't sure that almost the baby part was needed um, in in the opening because the plot didn't start there. Right. Yeah. The plot started when when the mysterious guy Which came. meets him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I almost felt like where it got interesting or got started to move a little bit. And the, the run up felt like it could have been like filled in as backstory later. Yeah. And, and it, it felt like, again, since the plot wasn't starting, like those kind of moments didn't really add a lot, especially since there was no, again, no conflict in, yeah. in that section. Like maybe if there was a big like goblin fight and they like snatched maybe from death, like sure, absolutely. Yeah. You know, but since there wasn't, it was just kind of, oh, everything's nice. This is a beautiful child and a beautiful nymph everyone, and all this love and light, mm-hmm. which is wonderful, but it's not a great way to start a book yeah. because you want conflict. I think maybe part of the problem as well as in that opening scene, there's a lot of head jumping. We're not really in Pixie's head. We're not mm-hmm. really in Neve's head. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of floating omnisciently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it makes it really hard to know people's motivations, to care, at least the way that it has been set up this in this particular yeah. submission. Because omniscient 100% can work. Omniscient but- can definitely mm-hmm. work. You just have to be very like careful. conscious mm-hmm. in your decision to do that and careful about whose perspective you're hitting at what time. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. On a stylistic note, there were a lot of adjectives. Yes. There was there was I would say too many adjectives. Um I wanted I wanted to just like lose a lot of them because like the 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 the, the world building works for itself. Like it's a beautiful space. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know the color of everything or the or the or the nature of everything. Like it kind of like builds without that. So I would have probably just put a line through a lot of adjectives. Is that prescri- it's prescriptive? No, but- you're, <laughs> our guests are allowed to be prescriptive. Okay, We're not. Would, we go overboard sometimes. I would sometimes. Say, I would, introduction to the guests. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and on a general, also stylistic, mechanical uh, mm-hmm. level, generally speaking, when it comes to adjectives and adverbs, it's always better to use a strong verb or a strong noun so you can kind of cut those down by mm-hmm. changing the actual words you're using yeah. to describe things. My also my copy editor brain, copy editor brain. Uh, I, I don't know if this was an email formatting thing, but a new speaker is a new paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it's really difficult to read when that rule isn't followed, and agents will care. That's like a basic level thing. There, there are some typos too. I think that yes. that's definitely like it can be proofread. But yeah. I guess my other question was when the when the mysterious man shows up. I did want to know or get some hint of what role he would play in this yeah. girl's life. 
um, if love interest is kind of squicky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the five-year-old and the old man who has and, wrinkles. Yeah. But if, if like father figure, I didn't get a totally a father figure vibe. Um, and it felt, I wanted a little more clarity there early on. Like, how should I take this relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I guess either could work, um, if you're sensitive to the possible squick on the one hand, or mm-hmm. if you're clear on like the dynamic on the other. Yeah. Um, but I wanted like the nature of their like interaction to be clearer. Mm-hmm. Caitlin I mentioned lost... that she was scared of him. Yeah. But I, I didn't get mm-hmm. that at all. I was I like, oh, totally she's softening his hard heart. And mm-hmm. so, I, yeah, I have no idea how we were supposed to have heard that. Uh, it I seems mean, like something to look at. <laughs> and the ambiguity can be good, but it is nice to get enough of a sense of an interaction to know how you should feel about it. Should you be nervous? Should mm-hmm. you be lustful? Should you be excited about this? Should you be like there's so many ways you can you can take an interaction, but you have to have a clear emotional like sort of like fallout from the interaction, right? Yeah. Um I actually was looking for that too with some of the side characters, the fairies and things that mm-hmm. that rescued a baby. But I never got a clear emotional reaction as far as their expressions or their mm-hmm. feelings from any of them. So it made it hard for me to picture who they were or see them as individuals instead of a collective. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I noticed is I have this little girl as a five-year-old child. Mm-hmm. And I have a five-year-old child and he doesn't talk like that. I mean, and kids can all be different, but it did feel a little bit like I'm an adult and I'm writing a child speaking, which, I mean, if that's her personality, that's fine. But it did feel a little bit like the dialogue was very, um, it sounded like it was written by an adult for a child. I was wondering if maybe it was supposed to be a stylistic thing to make her sound kind of not human or fey, you know? So, maybe. I, I don't know. The fact that it isn't clear is also potentially a thing that needs a second look. And then my other thing is just to watch dialogue tags. Uh, there are many, and I might say too many, but that's prescriptive, and I shouldn't <laughs> be that way. But just be conscious of uh, things like he looked at her. Uh, she pouted and crossed her arms. She rolled her eyes. He raised one of his eyebrows. That's yeah. like all in one paragraph, all in a row. I was craving movement through that whole thing yeah. because it's just people it, – it felt like a manufactured and – well, many of their people talking. Yeah, and honestly, there, it, it would probably work better. Like you could, you could have real movement in all of there, but you could also just get rid of all the dialogue tags and let the dialogue stand on its own. And I think it would be stronger for it. I just commit one way. I think <laughs> is is good advice in general. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, and this this could be just me, but I think this this little girl character is is quite perfect like she's she's so beautiful like impossibly beautiful and she's bubbly and outgoing and has fire talents she might get to be a bit much if if you're not careful i think it's something to watch moving forward but but i think mixing mixing like sort of perfections or talents with sort of more human elements is is important um and you can be like dazzlingly beautiful and that's wonderful um but it doesn't give you much of a sense of who the person is beyond just being a beautiful face and i think it's important to like reach deeper in characterization especially if you're going to have like a character grow up on your in your book we're out of time for this portion of the podcast to this author thank you so much for submitting we enjoyed reading your work and Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show thank you guys for having me it was lovely you're Thanks welcome so much for coming. anytime yeah. so much wisdom <laughs>
Uh, dear readers, be sure to check out The Bear and the Nightingale, The Girl in the Tower, and The Winter of the Witch. Our next guest will be Misa Sugiera, author of It's Not Like It's a Secret, and This Time Will Be Different. If you would like a first chapter critique from Misa, be sure to check out our submission guidelines on our website and get your chapter to us by February 27th. Thank you to our intern, Lindsay Owens, for everything she does, and also to Matt Harris for help with sound design. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on Twitter at Litservice or on Facebook and Instagram as at Litservice Podcast. We frequently do challenges where you can win books or first chapter critiques. Or you can email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and share the podcast. It helps people to find the show. And from Litservice, thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks.